Welcome to the Created to Flourish podcast, where we'll explore the believer's call to respond to great global need. In each episode, we'll be reading a chapter from a book called Created to Flourish, co-authored by Peter Greer and Phil Smith, and we'll examine how employment-based solutions empower families to use their God-given abilities to serve their communities. I'm your host, Hannah Ruth, Hope International's Regional Representative in Minnesota. In this episode, Peter Greer explores the scope of global need and how poverty in developing countries differs from poverty in the United States. If you're just joining the podcast, we'd recommend going back and starting from episode one and listening to the episodes in order. Let's dive in. Part one, the presence of poverty. Chapter one, flower petals in the face, written by Peter Greer. Mumbai, the capital city of India's Maharashtra province, is known as India's financial capital and the home of Bollywood films. In a remote town 150 miles southwest of Mumbai and worlds away from the glitz and glamour of the city, Grace Orphanage provides a refuge for abandoned children. When our small group of U.S. visitors arrived, we were welcomed by a line of girls holding handfuls of flower petals. One small girl named Malika emerged from the shadows of the dimly lit doorframe wearing a yellow sari. Instead of gently tossing her flower petals on the ground in front of the visitors as the other girls did, her eyes sparkled as she threw them directly at us. She reminded me of my daughter. That same smile, spunk, and ineffable glow. Accompanied by the beat of the Indian drums and the wail of the sitar, she danced and twirled with the other girls in a welcome ceremony. I struggled to understand what a girl like Malika was doing in this orphanage. She should have been dancing at home with her loving parents and siblings, the way things are supposed to be. Instead, she was one girl out of dozens at this isolated orphanage in India. What circumstances brought her here? Later that evening, we learned that several of these girls had been indentured servants, child slaves, and had suffered unspeakable abuse. Their parents had seen no options other than selling off one child in order to provide food for the remaining children. That evening, as I tossed and turned beneath my mosquito net, I couldn't help comparing my daughter, Liliana, and my new friend, Malika. Both were around age five, but they were living radically different lives. Liliana lives in her own room decorated with hanging butterflies, white bunk beds, and pastel pink bedspreads. Malika shares a drab yellow room with 24 other girls. Liliana eats three full meals a day that have incredible variety and loves little Nemo fruit snacks in the afternoon, while Malika eats lentil porridge every day and is thankful for the special occasions when she eats meat. Liliana attends Sunday school every week without a thought for her safety. Malika lives in a country where attackers regularly vandalize Christian churches and homes and threaten, harass, and even kill Indian Christians. The heartbreaking reality is that these differences are largely the result of one fact. Liliana was born in the United States and Malika was born in India. This fact means that my daughter and many other children born in the United States will most likely never face certain evils and injustices that are the daily reality for hundreds of millions of children in the world. Hunger. Liliana will never go to bed hungry unless she refuses to eat her broccoli and her parents are trying to teach her an important lesson. 
In developing countries, approximately 795 million people go to bed hungry every night and search for creative ways to ignore their discomfort. Andrew Samuel, a banker who grew up in India, remembers his mother telling him to sleep on his stomach because it helped quell hunger pains. Child mortality. It is highly unlikely that Liliana will experience the pain of losing a brother or sister before she reaches adulthood. Worldwide, 5.9 million children die every year before reaching their fifth birthday. That translates to 16,000 children who die each day from hunger and preventable diseases, one child every six seconds. Drinking water. Liliana can drink directly from a faucet at one of the four sinks in her home without any concern for her health. Around the world, 663 million people don't have access to improved water sources, and nearly 2 billion may be drinking from contaminated water. Millions walk long distances to carry every drop of water to their homes. Toilets and diarrhea. Liliana has access to indoor plumbing and considers diarrhea a temporary inconvenience. In the developing world, Diarrhea racks the bodies of millions of children who have no access to diapers or plumbing, and it kills about 530,000 children every year. Education Liliana attends our city's public schools for free. While literacy rates have been increasing around the world, 757 million adults still lack basic reading and writing skills. Women are disproportionately represented in this number, making up two-thirds of the total. Healthcare. Liliana dislikes the pain of routine shots provided by her doctor. In developing areas, only half of women receive the health care they need. Over half of deaths of children under the age 5 are from preventable or easily treatable diseases, such as pneumonia, diarrhea, and malaria. Life expectancy. If statistical models are correct, Liliana will live past the age of 80. If she were born in Swaziland, she wouldn't expect to live much past the age of 50. Washing machine and a change of clothes. Liliana's mother and I wash her clothes easily in a washing machine and choose her clothes from a dresser full of options. In other parts of the world, children, and often their mothers, must hand wash every item of clothing, a labor and time-intensive task. Women's rights. My daughter will have to overcome certain biases because she is a woman. But these hurdles pale by comparison to the experience of so many others in the developing world. An Afghan man was told that his sick daughter's life could be saved if he took her across a dangerous mountain pass to medical care in a city two hours away. No, I don't want to do that, he responded. Girls are free, but donkeys cost money. Employment on my way to work today, I passed at least a dozen businesses with help-wanted signs, many of which would be happy to hire Liliana if she were 16. In Zimbabwe, 95% of the entire population is unemployed or underemployed. There simply are no formal employment options, no help-wanted signs, and no employers who are legally mandated to provide a minimum wage and other basic rights. Financial Services Liliana and I opened a savings account at our local bank branch when she turned five. Such an account would be a luxury for the two billion people around the world who do not have access to financial services. Access to an account is heavily dependent on where you live, with 91% of adults in high-income countries having an account 
compared to just 28% in low-income countries. The reality is that the scale of poverty in the developing world dwarfs nearly everything we label as poor in the United States. This is exceptionally difficult for most Americans to understand, including me. Growing up, I was the poor pastor's kid in a wealthy Boston suburb. When everyone else had Nintendos, I had hand-me-down Ataris. How naive I was to equate slightly less luxury with the dehumanizing struggle to survive that confronts over 2.1 billion people who try to survive on less than $3.10 a day. Poverty in the United States is still a very real problem. Events like Hurricane Katrina remind us of just how many Americans are without an adequate safety net, not to mention daily necessities. However, the vast majority of poverty in the United States is defined poverty or relative poverty. If poverty is defined as the 10% of the people in a nation earning the lowest income, then 10% of that nation will always live in poverty, no matter how many resources they have. Without suggesting that their pain should be ignored, most people living in poverty in the United States have astounding resources when compared to those living in the developing world. An article in The Economist treated this issue by comparing the lives of Dr. Mwembe Kabamba, a prominent surgeon in Kinshasa, the capital of the Democratic Republic of Congo, and Enos Banks, an unemployed coal driver in eastern Kentucky's Appalachia region. Both men live on nearly the same amount of money, yet there are significant differences in their lifestyle. Dr. Kabamba has no running water at his house, has the benefits from electricity twice a week, only dreams of air conditioning, and eats meat about twice a month. In the America of Enos Banks, three-quarters of impoverished households have air conditioning, and families in poverty eat more meat than the well-to-do. On average, those living in poverty in the United States are likely to live longer than those in other countries, spend more years in education, have jobs and own cars, refrigerators, stereos, and other luxuries. The article summarizes, All one can say is that whereas the poor in Kinshasa complain about the price of bread, the poor in Kentucky complain about the price of motor insurance. Let us reiterate, it is not our intention to suggest that Americans suffer no pain or hardship or that the church should not be helping those in need in our own cities. Rather, we wish to emphasize the extreme and immediate needs of people living in poverty in developing countries. There are people who struggle to survive every day of their lives. The extent of this global poverty is staggering. According to the Pew Research Center, 71% of the world's population lives on less than $10 a day, the threshold considered necessary to avoid falling back into poverty. 949 million live on $2 or less a day, and 3.4 billion live on $2.01 to $10 a day. The wealthy, and that includes most of us listening to this book, lead lives that many consider an unreachable dream. What now? Ruth Kalenta, founder of the Center for Community Transformation in the Philippines, wondered, why do we live in a place that has so much, and yet there are so many in poverty? Are there not enough fish in the sea? Does the earth not have the capacity to provide sufficient food? This cannot be what God has planned for his creation. Something is definitely wrong. Something is wrong. But in the haze of desperation and despair, hope is breaking through. 
the church is beginning to combat extreme poverty in a new way. This movement is radically different from traditional charity. It focuses on long-term systemic change and lasting employment patterns, not short-term quick fixes. It emphasizes the importance of partnerships and local champions, not external saviors descending to solve the problems of those considered less fortunate. The hope of the gospel is integrated through tangible acts of compassion that have long-term reach, rather than simply providing handouts that keep people in a position of dependency. This is a movement where discipleship, job creation, training, and financial services are building on local relationships to empower communities to break free from poverty. It's time for a new approach to how we actively and enthusiastically think about loving our global neighbors. Thanks for joining us on the Created to Flourish podcast. This podcast is a production of Hope International, a global nonprofit that responds to the call to serve those living in poverty by providing discipleship, biblically-based training, a safe place to save, and small business loans. If you're interested in learning more about Hope International, we invite you to check out Hope's website, www.hopeinternational.org.